Hello and welcome to the Talking Cock podcast. I'm not sure podcast is the best word for it because pods are something a bit different, aren't they? We need a different Talking Cock Cockcast. I'll tell you what, Talking Cock Rodcast. Now we're now we're cooking. We're cooking with gas. Um, it's uh, all about the penis. I am Richard Herring. Uh, you may be aware of some of my other podcast work. I do quite a few. Uh, do check me out on iTunes and the British Comedy Guide uh, if you fancy hearing some more stuff. Uh, this one is, I suppose, a promotional uh, tool for my tool uh, <laughs> for my upcoming tour, all about the spam javelin, uh, all about the uh, purple-headed womb broom, all about rumple foreskin, all about the sergeant with the one blue stripe who loves to stand to attention. It's not too bad. Uh, all about the pink lighthouse that wants to draw you onto its rocks. All about Kojak's money box. All about the penis. It's just the penis. That's, there's no need to be put funny words like that. Just say what it is and let's be growing up about it. Uh, I am on tour with uh, the show Talking Cock the Second Coming. Uh, all around the UK from February the 22nd, right where I start in Fairham. I think that one might be sold out. Uh, right through to Leicester on the 1st of June. So it's a long old tour, uh, coming to most places. I've been to a few places already. Uh, it'd be terrific if you wanted to come along. Uh, if you can't come along, there will be a DVD of this show coming out in the summer uh, at www.gofasterstripe.com. That's been recorded at the Bloomsbury Theatre in London on the 13th of April, if you want to come along and see it recorded and maybe get yourself in there. Uh, be on my DVD. How exciting could that be? It won't even be on telly. It might be on Netflix one day. Who knows? Um, so, uh, um, but it's not only that it's not only tr to promote the show though it'd be lovely if you did want to come <laughs> uh, I don't have much of a publicity budget uh, so I basically I seem to have built up an audience by people who like me reluctantly and gradually telling their friends and bringing someone else with them the ne next year so I've been touring for about 12 years on my own um, <clears throat> and my audience is very very gradually building but it'd be nice to have them gradually build a little more so if you enjoyed this podcast and can come along to one of the dates check out richardherring.com uh, click on the uh, post of Talking Cock and you get all the information and all the tour dates by a further click uh, or you go to the gig guide at richherring.com and you can see them all there as well uh, but it's also because I've just got loads of uh, extra information uh, from the questionnaire that I've set up which is also richardherring.com if you just go to the front page of that and look on the left you'll see there's a questionnaire all about the penis and people's attitudes to it there's one for men one for women about 10,000 people have taken part in this uh, so far and all the answers in the show genuinely come from the questionnaire and uh, your answers could appear in either the show or on the podcast because there's loads of stuff that, like I say that there isn't time to do in the show for example I asked men uh would you rather lose your penis or one of your legs? And 26% of men would rather lose their penis than their legs. They'd rather be hobbling around on the floor, scooting around but with their cock dragging on the floor than losing their penis. Uh, would you rather lose your penis or both your eyes? Um, less men went for that one. 73% of men would rather lose their penis for that one. But still, 27% of men would rather be blind than not have a penis. Uh, if you have the choice between castration and death, which would you take... And 76% of men would go for castration, which still means an astonishing 24% of men, a quarter of men, would rather be dead, at least they think so, than not not have a penis, which is kind of an, an astonishing statistic when you think about it. But that statistic is not in the show because there was not time to do it. So there's lots of things like that that uh, I can do as well. Different answers to the questions that are in the show. 
Um, I'm just going to try and cover a few of the subjects uh, week by week and also keep you up to date with what's going on in the tour, any funny stories about the tour. Uh, if you've got any questions about the penis or any funny stories about the penis, you want to email me to herring1967 at gmail.com. They could get read out uh, in the podcast. If they're really funny, they could make it to the show. Uh, and um, if you've got any questions, that's cool. And I might try and talk to some experts as well about some of these things. So we're just going to go with the flow and see what happens. I think the best way to uh, to introduce the show <coughs> excuse me, is to... Uh, I'll just read you a bit from the introduction to my book, Talking Cock, which, is, again, is available from GoFasterStripe.com um, and from me at gigs, um, but only in second-hand form from elsewhere. So uh, if you if you want to get loads and loads more information about this subject, do buy the book. Uh, but this is part of the introduction, which I will now read you. My Knob Odyssey began in October 2001. I was performing my one-man show, Christ on a Bike, at the Arts Theatre in London's West End. I was sharing the stage with the worldwide smash, The Vagina Monologues, or as the comedian Jenny Eclair more amusingly calls it, Twat Chat. The Vag Girls were on first, and I would sit in my dressing room each night listening to the show on the theatre intercom. You can't imagine what a delight it was for me to hear the 360 capacity audience laughing themselves stupid and shouting out cunt in unison when asked to do so by Miriam Margolis. It was made especially pleasurable for me because I knew I was about to go on to perform to the 20 people who bothered to turn up to see me, who occasionally also shouted out cunt, but in less orchestrated circumstances and rarely in unison. After I'd finished my show, I would usually head to the bar, where sometimes 10% of my audience were waiting to greet me. Practically every night, one or both of them would buy me a beer and say that was quite good. Shame there weren't a few more in. I'd say, well, you know, the whole September the 11th things affected West End audiences really badly. They'd remark, that's weird, because there were hundreds, thousands of people coming out of the vagina monologues. I'd correct them maybe a little bit abruptly. There weren't thousands, there were 360. There were only 360 seats in the theatre. And of course they're going to get loads of people in if they put vagina in the title. I'd have 360 people in my audience if I called my show Vagina on a Bike or Tits on a Pogo Stick. But I wouldn't do that, because I've got some artistic integrity. I was trying to get them to back off, but many of them failed to pick on, up on the subtlety of my hint and would blather on saying, Hey, have you ever thought about doing a male version of the vagina monologues? You could call it the penis monologues or maybe cocktails. <laughs> I'd laugh a bit too much, slightly too close to their faces and then sarc sarcastically slur. No, I've never, ever thought about doing that. What an amazing, original and unpredictable idea. Oh, if only I could be as clever and imaginative as you. Then in case they hadn't understood that I was being sarcastic, I would add, I am being sarcastic. That usually cleared up any confusion over the sarcasm issue. Why don't you just call me a cret into my face, I would continue. Of course I've thought about doing that. I thought about it the exact second I first heard about the vagina monologues and then immediately discounted it as the most pathetic and hackneyed idea that had ever been imagined. Men don't need a show about penises and they don't want a show about penises. Any male answer to the vagina monologues would be stupidly macho and competitive and misogynist. So there's no way I'm going to do it, all right? Now get out of my sight, you idiots. You make me sick. Then as the people were leaving, I'd shout... Thanks for the beer. Oh, do tell your friends about my show. For some reason, they chose not to. After three weeks of drunkenly antagonising the few people who liked me, I began to wonder if I was making some kind of mistake. I have to admit that despite my artistic integrity, I'd started, I'd started imagining what it would be like to perform to a packed audience and not lose hundreds of pounds a night. I'd imagine it would feel really nice, and that instead of shouting at people who were trying to be civil to me, I'd probably say something like, Ooh, you are a sweetie. Thanks for being there for me. Do tell your friends. And this time they would, allowing me to spend the money I made on luxury items from my home. 
However, more important than that was the realisation that the VAD show had been going for six or seven years at this point, and despite the obvious obviousness of doing a cock version as well as the commercial potential of such an enterprise, no one had ever actually done it. Why was that? It struck me it was probably because the vagina monologues is about celebration, and no one could argue that the penis was worth celebrating. The best thing anyone could say about the penis was that it was funny, which is why, whilst women were rejoicing in and venerating their vaginas at the arts theatre, on a stage not far away, some Australians were twisting their genitals into the shape of hamburgers in the show Puppetry of the Penis. There was clearly a disparity here. Surely there was more to the penis than its ability to do a vague and distasteful impression of the Eiffel Tower. But if there was, I was having trouble thinking what it might be. If not portrayed as a comic appendage, the penis was seen as a dangerous weapon. As a man, I was used to the concept that all men are potential rapists. I was so used to that that I would scarcely think to challenge the idea. Similarly, I took it as read that on the rare occasion when rare occasions when women, women did actually consent to sex, men were selfish and incompetent lovers. Were these stereotypes fair? If not, why did men seem to accept them without question? Was the penis really only a battering ram or a jester's pole? Wasn't there more to it than that? Wasn't it time for the twisting to stop and the schlong celebration to begin? Wasn't it time for a vagina monologues with balls? I decided to give it a go. I booked a slot at the Edinburgh Fringe the following year and got to work. There was no turning back. Immediately, I wanted to turn back. It had struck me why no one had done this before. The success of the vagina monologues was due to the fact that it got women talking about their genitals in a way that they never had done before. In an early article in Scotland on Sunday about my project, Barbara Littlewood, a lecturer in sociology at Glasgow University, questioned the necessity of a cock show, saying that before the vagina monologues, the vagina was a source of shame and embarrassment. The show broke a firm taboo. Damn it, she was right. It wasn't true of my version. Men don't need any similar encouragement to talk about their penises. Men constantly talk about their penises. They won't shut up about them. Not only was my show redundant, no one was going to pay to see what they could witness for free on any street corner or toilet wall in the world. Let's face it, it's hardly a fresh comedic trope. Most male comedians have at least 20 minutes on the subject. Some talk about practically nothing else, both on and off stage. Mentioning no names, Richard Herring. Then I asked myself, what do men actually say about their love rockets? And I had to conclude that despite men's constant prick shtick, we actually say very, very little. And of that very little, only a minute proportion of our comments are in any way serious. 99% of the conversation involved men bragging about how massive theirs is. Oh, I make King Dong look like wee willy winky. Or how tiny everyone else's was. He's got a cock like an anorexic anchovy in size and also smell. Or possibly somewhat fanciful renditions of sexual scenarios. So there I was watching a football with a beer in my hand and her on my knees in front of me when blow me, and she did. Her twin sister walks in and decides to join in. Doubtless some of that story is true. I believe it up to and possibly including the bit about the beer. The beer might be far-fetched. Can you imagine a man discussing this subject seriously? Fellas, can we all just stop singing rugby songs for a minute? I want to talk to you about my ongoing struggle with erectile dysfunction. It would make him a laughing stock. Moreover, it would make him a laughing stock who obviously had a tiny cock. The more I thought about it, the more I realised that men only discuss their placenta pokers in humorous tones. For example, by referring them, uh, for example, by referring to them as placenta pokers, because just like pre-twat chat women, they're embarrassed and ashamed of the inadequacies of their genitalia. We're embarrassed and ashamed, aren't we, fellas? We're embarrassed and we're ashamed, and we're ashamed and embarrassed to admit it, even to ourselves. If I was honest, I knew there were several cock-related worries that I had. <clears throat> been secretly harbouring my entire adult life, things I've never discussed, ironically, for fear of looking like a knob. If you read on, I might even tell you what they were. Well, I might tell you what they are on the podcast. Barbara Littlewood was wrong. Men did need this project, as long as it wasn't too worthy, as long as it was funny so they could still laugh along and confirm their masculinity. If I got it right, they'd be laughing and thinking, thank Christ I'm not alone. 
So would it be a show exclusively for men? To begin with, I thought so. It was important to me that Talking Cock would not be merely be a parody of the vagina monologues, although I would never deny that the minge whinge was the inspiration for my idea. I wanted to avoid falling into the trap of trying to compete. I didn't want to try to claim that these, men, these days men are more oppressed than women. It's clearly not true. Or to claim that the penis is better than the vagina, mainly because, if I'm honest with you, I prefer the vagina. I think it's great. I'd go as far as saying the vagina is my all-time third favourite bodily orifice. Top three girls, not bad. Keep trying. I'd assumed, however, that because Muff Guff was written from a female perspective, then my show should be constructed from exclusively male voices. <clears throat> what changed my mind was going to see the vagina monologues. I took a lady friend with me on a first date. I have to warn you guys, that was a mistake. As we sat reading the programme, waiting for the show to start, I was struck with a weird feeling of unease and isolation. I looked around the audience. I was the only man there. Surely that was impossible. The place was pretty full. I checked again. The row behind me, all women. In front, all women. I peered over the balcony and was hit by the shrill sound of female voices. Wait! Four rows in front of me, a couple snogging. Thank God! Oh no, damn it, both women. Hold on, what do I mean, damn it? It's two women snogging. All my dreams have come true, but no, in these panic circumstances, there was no time for eroticism. At this moment, all I wanted to see was another man to hold him on my arms and realise I wasn't alone. And there he was, CN23, another sweating, fidgeting man. I caught his glance, all this terror in his eyes. We were both clearly thinking, women, women everywhere. We'd better have a drink. But as we rose to go to the bar, the lights went down, the show began. We'd missed our chance, we were trapped. It was room 101, 101. And our lives would never be the same again. Alright, it wasn't quite as bad as that. And the piece was pretty funny in places. Though it was clearly funnier for women. They were all shrieking like that one old lady who used to always... That one old lady who was always in the studio audience of Are You Being Served? And who thinks the word pussy is the most outrageous thing she's ever heard. Very much like that, thinking about it. Except this time, there was no doubt that the women on stage were referring solely to their sexual organs. And they call that progress. As the evening progressed, I was wondering when to make my move with my date, but every time I tried to put my arm round her or hold her hand, there seemed to be a declaration on stage about how evil and predatory men are. I was feeling guilty and paranoid, like I personally had done something to embarrass myself. Usually I have to wait until the morning after the date before that happens. The show seemed to treat the vagina in isolation and gave the impression that vaginal penetration was a bad thing. No wonder no blokes were there. You only spend 40 quid at theatre in the belief you could look in classy and will guarantee you some action. The rude title of the piece could only add to those beliefs, but this show would make only make a girlfriend hot in the head, which is the last place you want heat on a date. The only positive story about a male in the production is about a man who likes looking at his girlfriend's vagina for hours on end. Pervert. There was nothing about men and women putting their genitals together for mutual pleasure. pleasure. Joking aside, I thought that was a bit weird. The fact is that genitals don't exist to be treated in isolation. Genitals are made for sharing, like quality street chocolates, especially as I always seem to end up with the unpleasant tasting green ones. At the end of the show, my date turned to me and said she decided to become a lesbian. That was a first. Normally women have to sleep with me before making that lifestyle choice. I searched around the auditorium for the other bloke, but when I found out he'd crudely when I found him he had crudely hacked off his own penis in shame and was calling himself Rebecca. Surely there had to be a better, less divisive way. I decided that Talking Cock would be aimed at men and women, highlighting the positive as well as the ridiculous and the disgusting, because the penis is of significance to everyone, except for lesbians and nuns. But that's okay, because lesbians and nuns are a particular significance to the penis. Right, guys? We owe our existence in part to a penis, and most of us get some kind of enjoyment out of it, if only in dildo form. Talking Cock would try to use the penis to bring us together, not as a wedge to drive us apart. Not unless that's what you're both into. So that's how it all began, and uh, as I say, then I set up the questionnaire that you can still fill in. Uh, got all these amazing responses, and um, and researched the subject. So I've done a lot of research on it. 
And I mean, you know, and I, it is a show that I think women enjoy as much, if not more, than men, uh, because you find out a lot about men's insecurities and the, the, what they're really thinking and how you, know, you see inside, you know, you see inside them in their heads. You don't see inside their penises. Luckily, that would be awful. Um, but um, but uh, well, so it is more inclusive than women. You might think because you might think, well, women don't have a penis. You are wrong. Women do have a penis. I'm sure most men have thought at some point, why can't women? be more like men wouldn't the world be a much better place if women had penises like we do and the truth is most of those men end up booking themselves a holiday to thailand but women uh why aren't you blessed with cocks why can't you be in the cock celebration with the rest of us well the good news is you can according to an essay by the late fantastic stephen jay gould called male nipples and clitoral ripples uh, men and women are built to the exact same template for the first few weeks of pregnancy all embryos have the same basic structure uh, you don't become male or female until acted on by hormones in about 13 weeks thus in women eventually the breasts will develop but men still have nipples because they have to be part of the template because women will ultimately need them similarly the clitoris and the penis to begin with are identical indistinguishable they're the same thing uh, later they'll be enlarged in male babies by the action of testosterone so just as nipples serve no evolutionary purpose in men uh, and never have women have clitorises because men need to have a penis it's not there for any other reason the clitoris is a penis Stephen Jay Gould says it's the same organ endowed with the same anatomical organisation and capacity of response it hasn't developed for evolutionary purpose of making intercourse more pleasurable for women because let's face it in most cases it doesn't uh, women have only got a clitoris because men need it but that's not to detract from the clitoris as Gould says I do not feel degraded because my nipples are concomitants of a general pattern in human development and not a sign that ancestors of my sex once lactated why should the disassociation of orgasm from intercourse degrade women when it merely may records a basic if unappreciated fact of human anatomy that happens to unite both sexes sexes as variations of a common pattern in development all I'm saying is women do have a penis is a wonderful pygmy super sensitive micro penis and all men end up with is some superfluous nipples. You're the winners here, girls. Um, in the, his book, The Prehistory of Sex, Timothy Taylor says you could argue that it's the penis that's the functionless evolutionary offshoot, offshoot. He points out there's no need for it to spasm during ejaculation. It could simply deposit the sperm. It's the clitoris, which extends down either side of the vaginal opening, that needs to spasm in order to suck the sperm towards the egg. So it may be men who are... Uh, again to have the useless appendage the fact is it doesn't matter which organ is functionless in evolutionary terms it's not a competition over who has the best or more useful genitals to turn this issue into a battle of the sexes is to miss the point that regardless of what our bits are there to do men and women are much more similar than we might outwardly appear too often comedians have striven to exaggerate the uh, differences won't be different what's that all about yet for the first few weeks of our life we look exactly the same regardless of our sex or race and often even species if you look at embryos men and women are composed of the same parts in a slightly different order at worst we're merely anagrams of each other let's concentrate on what makes us feel the same rather than constantly searching for what makes us different and the real bright side of this fellas is if your woman complains that your cock is too small you can always say well it's not as small as your freakish stunted todger and that'll shut them up complaining so <clears throat> this is a show literally for everyone i might try and do a version of that bit in the show so apologies if you do see that again uh, but that's not been in the show up to now so uh, uh, nice to try it out here on the Richard Herring Talking Cock podcast this is what you're listening to publicising the Talking Cock tour go to richardherring.com uh, do come along and see the tour if you can um, so uh, where's the, oh, where did I put it there it is great and so look I've just been through 
which I'll do each week. I've been through one of the questions again to look for answers that don't make it into the show because there's so many answers. There's 10,000 answers, I say. Got about 8,000 male answers. I think there's about 4,000 female answers. Um, so I can't get everything into the into the show. Um, so I think we'll make the theme of this week's show where have you put your penis for fun? And uh, this is a very popular part of the show. I'm going to try and do this without repeating any of the answers you'll hear if you come and see the show. But it's basically everywhere. Um, here's a few extra ones. Um, where have you put your penis for fun? These are men's genuine answers. I cut a hole in a marrow. I mean, that seems insane. The outside of a marrow is very hard. I don't know the inside is particularly soft. I don't know which end they're cutting. Is it coming, they're taking a section out the middle and going in there, or are they taking the end? Is it just to make them feel like they've got a marrow sized cock? Is that, I think that's the only pleasure you get out of it. I think there'll be some chafing. I just don't think it's dry, uh, wet enough. Uh, a warm bucket of water. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what you're thinking of getting out of that. Uh, a cup with damp sponges in it. I mean, this is here. I mean, these are <laughs> just unbelievable. Uh, accidentally in a friend's mouth during a post-match rugby bath. Yeah, that's right, accidentally. Yeah. I've always had my suspicions about you rugby players, and uh, to be honest, many of the answers I'm getting from the questionnaire uh, prove those suspicions and prejudices correct. I think the rugby's all about uh, the bath and the, the hugging during the game, of course. Uh, in a Black & Decker workbench as the vice presses in. I mean, there are some pretty... Dangerous ones. Do not try these at home, or if you do, don't blame me if your cock gets squeezed off or falls off or gets burnt. Uh, in your green room sandwich when you were on stage last night, love the band. Thanks. That's a nice one. That's from, uh, I think, the band at uh, the uh, Robin Ince Christmas gigs. Uh, in a muddy hole in a vegetable patch. Lenny Bruce was right. Men will fuck mud. Uh, on my girlfriend's desk as she tries to work. A lot of a lot of men talk about putting on over women's heads or on their shoulder or in their sleeping hands. I really don't put them don't put them in their hands when they're asleep, even if you know them very well. Um, every ever every <laughs> sorry this is again every single teapot in a that's right every single teapot in a major northern branch of Whitard of Chelsea stock room summer two thousand and seven to two thousand and nine. It was worth the wait. Uh, I'm sure someone could work out who you are from those dates, but maybe not. Hopefully you lied a little bit. Every single teapot. So if you bought a teapot from Whitard of Chelsea uh, between 2007 and you live in the north of England, I hope you washed it out before you used it. It's always a good it's a good idea to wash everything and not eat anything you get in a restaurant and never eat a sandwich in a green room. In the space between the legs of a scary spice statue figurine. It's just tragic. In a glass of milk. Uh, and he's put Cleopatra milk. So that's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, in Andrew Collings, in your dreams. Uh, two genders, three species. Don't know if one of those species was Andrew Collins. That is a different person. In gravy, I'm from Preston. As if that explains it. I don't know if that. I don't know if everyone in Preston likes putting their cock in gravy. Again, danger of burning if it's cold. I mean, it goes a bit gelatinous, doesn't it? I just had threw some gravy away. It does turn into a sort of something that possibly might be fun to have sex with i don't know I'm, i mean i don't i haven't done any of these i'm not weird uh, in a bicycle seat post that's like with that the seat taken out the metal tube it didn't work the man says uh in a section of an archaeological investigation uh i was a bit drunk a bit too drunk to remember i can't remember what it was there was a reason but i can't remember uh, in kelly brook sandwich i will not elaborate 
So a lot of people putting their cocks in sandwiches. They will not elaborate makes that sound like it's not a joke, doesn't it? Like They're worried about getting caught still, even to this day. Sorry, Kelly, if you're listening. <laughs> You'll never know which sandwich it was. That's the only... Uh, and uh, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols used to wank and come into Glenn Matlock's sandwiches, so hopefully there was no actual uh, ectoplasm in it. I used it to press buttons on an iPad once to see if the touchscreen still worked with my cock. Well, did it! I have never tried that, and I'm not going to ruin my iPad with little impressions, ghosted shadows of my penis. Uh, this is a very popular one. Let, do get in touch and let us know if that did work. Uh, this is very popular, this one. In a Dyson Airblade, uh, thus winning a long-standing challenge. Getting a photo was harder than it seemed. Apparently the heights of those Dyson Airblades, that's the thing you wash your, dry your hands with in the box, with the, put your hands in them. You get a very dry penis if that's what you want. In a hamster cage, it got bitten. That's So don't do that. On a fab lolly, you can say your cock has been touched by hundreds and thousands. Come on. Come on! Is this thing on. Uh, in the hand of the Richard Third statue in Castle Park, Leicester, I fell off seconds later and cracked my jaw on his solid bronze knee. And that's quite topical, I think, that one is the Richard III. Is he the Richard who's just been discovered in a in a car park in Leicester? Is that right? So he's getting his revenge from beyond the grave. Uh, various teddy bears as a child. Various ones, not all of them. Some of them he didn't fancy. I don't want you going away thinking he's a teddy bear whore. Try rubbing it with fresh ginger. That's fun. Someone, but I think there might be some a trick in that one. So don't be, please do not do that. Just think, it might be amazing. I haven't done it myself. I've not done any of these. I can't tell you if they're going to work or not. Um, I once buried my penis in a tub of swarfiga, which is that green stuff you get to oil off your hands. My dad used to have swarfiga quite a lot when he'd been working in the garage. Uh, put it in a microwave to warm it up a bit. It felt like another dimension. <laughs> I guess because it was gloopy, like, you know, if you, if you watch The Abyss, the the film, that kind of gloopy thing comes in, isn't it? I don't think anyone puts their cock in it. I've stared into The Abyss, knowing that someone somewhere has put their cock into it. Uh, I once dressed it up with shells and a little bra as Ariel the Mermaid. And th this is the kind of thing I'm dealing with here. So those are all extra answers to that question. If you want to go and fill that in, just head to richtang.com. Uh, just on the left-hand side, you see Talking Cock 2, the second coming male questionnaire, female questionnaire. Choose the appropriate questionnaire, and uh, I am have genuinely have been some people uh, asking about transsexual and what they would do. And I'm sorry, I didn't consider that. That will have to be for another show. Um, if you're a hermaphrodite or a transsexual, I genuinely do apologise that you you have to take a choice and decide which one you're going to go for, or you know maybe do both. Up to you. Um, there are so many things to cover in this uh, in this show that it's very hard to. Even with the book and even with this podcast, it's very hard to cover absolutely everything. But uh, talking of where have you put your penis of fun, I'd like to tell you a story uh, that, again, never made the show that I wrote back in uh, 2001, 2002. Um, this is a, a true story at the time. I've just uh, been through the file and found the original press cutting about it. It is a story I like to call You Fuck One Goat. Forget the Birmingham Six, forget Nelson Mandela. The worst ever victim of wrongful imprisonment is Stephen Hall, a 23-year-old chef from Hull. He was unjustly and callously sent to prison for six months. And what was his so-called crime? He had sex with a goat. OK, I admit it, it doesn't sound good for him, but hear me out. Hall was on his way home from his sister's house when he decided he would like to have sex with a goat. Sometimes men get these urges, and who are we to say that is wrong? 
So it stopped off. So he stopped off at a field known as Paradise Allotments, lassoed a goat with his belt, dropped his trousers, which must have been presumably quite loose once the belt was taken off, and proceeded to get down to what comes unnaturally, which would all have been very fine and well, but unfortunately the field was right by the railway track, and at that point the hull to Bridlington train stopped at signals. The passengers were apparently horrified. They jammed the police switchboards with calls from their mobiles. Now most people at this point, if they were having sex with a goat in a field, might be overcome with the embarrassment of the situation. I don't know, stop having sex with the goat and run away before the police arrived. That's what I might do if I was ever in this situation. Did Stephen Hall do that? No, he didn't. Instead of doing that, according to the prosecutor, Rebecca Thornton, he tried to conceal himself behind some tin, tin sheeting, but didn't stop what he was doing. Tin sheeting? That's not the most effective camouflage, is it? Uh, Thornton, <laughs> people are going to see his little arse bump up and up and down. Thornton continued he was crouching in a concealed position clearly having penetrative sexual intercourse with the goat so not that concealed. The defendant was engaged in the activity with the goat for some 10 minutes but what I which is pretty impressive I mean maybe it wasn't that sexy a goat maybe he was put off by the people watching maybe he's just a sensitive lover who cares for the goat's needs. But what I object to is, in the case wasn't Hall's actions. It was the way the prosecution tried to make the crime appear much worse by trying to argue from the point of view of the goat. Detective Inspector David Crinion of the British Transport Police said this was a very serious offence for the goat. The judge heard that the goat was distressed. In whose opinion? Who's qualified to say what constitutes a distressed goat? How can you tell? It's a goat. Unless you spend all your time with goats and you, you know, made a note of their different emotions and facial expressions detective inspector crinian tried to demonstrate the effect on the goat but only confused the issue by saying the goat was certainly subdued when i saw it so which was it was it distressed or subdued had the molestation made it angry and upset or had it withdrawn into itself upset at its violation or did it not really understand what had just happened because it was a goat detective inspector crinian the man of many opinions also commented and this is the only sensible thing he said i saw the goat the next day it didn't seem too upset but it's difficult to tell that's right, because it's a goat. You can't tell. You've got no idea how it felt. And it might, might it probably didn't care. It's a goat. And if prosecutor Rebecca Thornton is also concerned about the welfare and rights of the goat, is her next case going to be against the farmer who's presumably imprisoned the goat against his will in an allotment all its life? Or the people in this country who are complicit in the day-to-day -day murder and consumption of farm animals? Surely murder and eating something is much worse than having sex with it, even against its will. If it, if, But a goat can't... You know, habits can't say it wants to consent anyway. Anyway, who's to say that it was rape? Who's to say the goat wasn't a willing participant in the Love Act? We don't know. It was a goat, incapable of expressing its feelings. Oh, sure, so the goat seemed distressed when the sex act was taking place. I don't know if you've ever seen people having sex. I obviously don't watch that very often. Uh, very often, one or two, but one or both of the participants seem distressed. But if you start to ask them if everything is okay, they say, of course it is. You can get out of our bedroom. We're having sex, Richard. The goat was subdued. That happens a lot after sex with willing partners. You get carried away in the moment and then after it's over you start to wonder if you've done the right thing. The goat might have been thinking, what did I do? I had sex on a first date under some corrugated iron. What a goat whore I am. And it seems to me that all Hall really cared about it. seemed to me that Hall really cared about this goat. It wasn't just a roll in the hay. By the prosecution's own admission, he made love to the goat for ten minutes. It wasn't wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He cared about her needs as well as his own. When he was discovered by the train passengers, since it was an embarrassing situation for the goat, uh, but not wanting to curtail her pleasure, he hid under some tin sheeting. Surely the real pervert in this situation isn't a man making tender love to a goat, but the people on the train watching them, trying to stop them. 
ringing the police about it, telling people. Okay, Paul had the goat lassoed around the neck with a belt. You know, some goats like that kind of thing. It's not for us to judge. I'm not saying we should all go out and have sex with goats. I'm just saying if you do, I suggest you check there are no railway tracks nearby. Free Stephen Hall. Free the whole one. Unless he's already been freed, which he probably has. Unless he's back in again for doing the same thing. But if he is free, don't. Probably don't worry about it too much. He probably, he's probably slightly annoyed I brought it back up again ten years later when it could all have been over. And um, so do get in touch with me if you want to, if you have any penile questions or stories or issues or interest. Uh, if you've got anything uh, about where you put your penis for fun. I don't want pervy stuff. I mean, don't, don't send me salacious things trying to get off on telling me about it. Just you can tell me about it if you want. Uh, if you do email me, you can obviously just fill in the questionnaire and that's anonymous. If you do email me, do let me know if you're happy for me to use your name or not. I will not use your name unless you say you are happy for me to do that. Uh, but next week's stories will all be about uh, what I'm going to talk about next week is childhood memories of your penis. Again, on the lighter side here, um, of embarrassment and stupid things you've done. Or if you're a parent, uh, embarrassing things your kids have done or weird things your kids have done. Uh, one of my wife's friends uh, told her that she'd found her two sons trying to tie their penises together when they were getting in the bath. Um, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for, sort of funny, stupid things. I've got some stories about uh, weeing. You know, when you were young, you could wee really high up urinals. Um, confusions about all that, anything about sex. But I think you can also broaden this out to teenage, pathetic things you did as a teenager. Uh, I might tell you next week about um, the story about my attempts to view my sister's best friend Barbie through a hole in the wall that might have become a glory hole I don't know what I was thinking um, so that might be something so any any embarrassing funny stories you've got it's not really the time for sort of this podcast especially for uh, traumatic uh, experiences so uh, um, <laughs> let's steer away from that uh, but uh, I've also got some poem if you've got a poem about the penis I tried to do this in the first uh, first round of the show it didn't really take off but I've got a few here from friends and a couple from strangers um, I'm just gonna so if you, if you want to send me a penis a pe poetry of the penis penis poem here's one from Stuart Lee the angry uh, successful comedian <laughs> who uh, doesn't like it unless comedy is done exactly the way he likes it which is fine um, but uh, he's a very funny man and he's got a TV show on uh, Comedy Central I think or Dave probably Comedy Central um, where lots of fantastic, you can see lots of fantastic comedians, the kind of comedians who you can also buy DVDs of from Go Faster Stripe. Do support Go Faster Stripe if you can. They're doing some momentous work with uh, less commercially viable comedians. Uh, anyway, the Stuart Lee's poem about the penis is called My Penis is Like a Thermometer by Stuart Lee, age 45, Solihull. My penis is like a thermometer. It should be taken either orally or anally, or for best results, held under the tongue for five minutes. It has a hundred tiny gradations running at the side. It is four inches long and one eighth of an inch wide. My penis is like a thermometer. It is often handled by nurses, but rarely by ambulancemen. And sometimes it is necessary to disinfect it 30 or 40 times a day. My penis is like a thermometer. It's scientifically inaccurate. If you hit it with a hammer, it will break and it is full of mercury. My penis is like a thermometer because if you're sick or feverish, laid low with a malady, infirm or stricken, racked by a palsy, dry, hot, under the weather, constrained, confused, concerned, whatever, then you'd best put my penis in your mouth. No, sorry, that's a thermometer. My penis is a different kettle of fish. My penis is like a kettle of fish, 
full of boiling liquid, rusty but reliable, smelling of fish. Stuart Lee there, the opera director, he was uh, cynically using stand-up comedy to promote his own opera directing career. Um, so anyway, do get in touch. That is the podcast. That's not done, not been too bad. We got through it. Um, next week, as I say, childhood memories, uh, teenage memories. I'll be going through uh, some of the answers that uh, from the, from the questionnaire that we didn't hear. Email me at herring one nine six seven at gmail dot com. Uh, or you can tweet me if you really want to, but uh, that might get lost. Uh, my Twitter hand- handle is herring1967 if you want to follow me. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast and on iTunes. Please tell your friends about this podcast. And please tell your friends about the tour. I can only keep doing... I don't know if I said this at the start. I did a few starts. I don't know if I said this already. But I can only keep these free, free podcasts going because of the money generated through touring and through selling uh, my DVDs. So if you enjoy these free podcasts and would like to give a little something back and you also get to see a 90-minute show that's uh, very funny on an impassioned and thoughtful disquisition on masculinity, cultural identity and sexual anthropology, but don't let that put you off. There are still loads of jokes about porridge guns and weeing as well, says The Observer. Um, so it'd be terrific if you've got four stars from Brian Logan at The Guardian, which is as, bad, as high as he goes usually. Uh, so coming up at, in the March gigs will be uh, the February gigs were in Fareham on the 22nd, Canterbury on the 23rd, Bath on the 27th, Bridgend on the 28th. Um, and then the early March ones are in Shrewsbury, Birmingham, Newcastle, Chorley and Pocklington. Uh, I'll tell you the gigs that are selling out so you can book ahead now. Uh, but do book ahead for, for all of them. They're all selling fairly well. But the ones that are very close, Fareham, I think, either sold out or close to selling out. Shrewsbury is very close to selling out. Chorley is very close to selling out. Leeds, I think, is practically sold out. I think there might only be single tickets left for that one. Um, Cambridge usually does very well. Uh, London's doing well. So book ahead for those ones. And if you want to come to the DVD, that's the uh, 13th. It's on the 12th and the 13th in London. Um, Salford is practically sold out. And um, Reading, which is a tiny little venue, is already pretty much sold out. But these these the tours have been doing pretty well. I'm coming to Dublin and Belfast on this tour, uh, which I haven't, done, haven't been to Dublin for a little while. Uh, lots of the usual places. If I'm not coming to where you are, it's simply because the or theatre has not booked me or we couldn't make the dates work. So bug them about that, not me. I would uh, hopefully be back on tour either next year or the year after. And so I would love to uh, come to you, the theatre near you if they will take me. Uh, of course, that all depends on people coming to see me and buying tickets. So I hope you will do that too. But if not, continue to enjoy this free podcast. And um, I might try and do some video stuff as well. Um, which we'll either put up as a podcast or as on YouTube or both. Uh, so again, anything you can do in terms of just promoting this podcast to other people, which is free, and the tour to other people, which is not free, would be very much appreciated. Until then, look after your penises and your clitorises, or both if you have both, or neither if you have neither, and uh, enjoy them, look after them, protect them, talk about them, try not to think about the mechanics of how they work as you're actually using them. That puts me off. Keep them clean. That's an important one. If they, if you take one piece of information from the show, the podcast, the book, gentlemen, wash your penis on a daily basis, maybe with a willy brush. We might talk about that in one of the future shows. I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Go back to your constituencies and prepare for government. Cox.